This is Maggie Lee, and you're listening to Sassholes. Welcome to Sassholes, a show dedicated to issues within software as a service. We are revenue ops with a edge. Jamie J. Jamie, Jason, KG, and myself, Pete, we have a combined 100 years of making interesting decisions. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Today, our guest is Maggie Lee. Maggie Lee is the current VP of Business Operations and Analytics at Service Titan and former VP of Business Ops and Analytics at ZipRecruiter. She's a strategic problem solver with a demonstrated success in delivering critical business insights, defining KPIs, improving sales effectiveness, and building high-performing teams. Most importantly, KG thinks she's awesome. But before we get to Maggie, we got a sponsor for the show, NeuroNoodle. Hey, parents of athletes, get a doodle of their noodle. It's a brain map. Hey, it's basketball season. You better have a baseline to compare it to in case you get that basketball upside the head. Get a brain brain checkup now so you have a baseline to compare it to. Schedule an appointment now at neuronoodle.com. Carney. Yeah, Pete. Come on. Let's get over here. KG. Yeah, I'm ready. Hit me with it. I'm still going to Why'd the man fall down the well? Because he couldn't see that well. Leave us some comments on our blog at sassholes.net. Shout outs, KG. Yeah, I got a few. Congratulations to Jason Putnam, formerly of Bounty Jobs, for starting a new position as Chief Revenue Officer at Plum. Congratulations to Linda McHugh, formerly of the business.com days way back when, for starting a new position as Senior AE of Strategic Accounts uh, and Initiatives at Veracast. Uh, congratulations to Maria, Maria Alperez, Maggie, for starting a new position as senior human resources business partner at Service Titan, a, uh, an amazing company I think we might hear about shortly. And then uh, happy birthday to Mike McGowan, uh, currently of ZipRecruiter, December 20th. That's what we're recording. It's going to come out later this week. But happy birthday, Mike. Good to see you well, still crushing it over at Zip. Blow out the candles. Case it. <laughs> Chasey, what do you got there as you're typing away I got, here? I got Kelly Robinson, four years at Red Dot Media. He actually created it. He was a former, um, uh, what do we call it? Broadbean uh, uh, executive that left and started up Red Dot Media. So give him a shout out. Good guy over there. I'm also a happy birthday to Zach Sikor. We had him on our show. He works at People AI, where I work now. And one, is the, one of the reasons why I came over here. So give him a shout out as well. Outstanding. Jason, uh, Carney, you still typing there? What do you got? That's what I was typing, so it was on the list. Oh, okay. All right, thanks. Hey, Kevin Wilson, congrats. New position, senior benefits consultant at Go Health. And then Kim Dickow for three years at Gartner. And then how could we forget? Happy birthday, Jesus. Christmas show, right? Can you say that anymore? Can you say Christmas? Just, you, just got, you just got us canceled. You just got well, us. You didn't. You weren't. You weren't all inclusive, Pete. You asshole. Yeah, happy <laughs> everything. Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, uh, KG, you brought Maggie on. Uh, I guess you guys go back to the Zip Recruiter days. How, how'd you guys get together? Yeah. Well, um, I was asked to interview Maggie because we were bringing on 
a like I think our first either data scientist or analyst or something like that um, underneath our marketing team because we were spending like seventy or eighty or ninety million dollars a year at ZipRecruiter and uh, and Maggie was brought on to help us you know be true scientists as Ian Siegel would want us to be um, and uh, and I interviewed this woman and she was super impressive and uh but she blew me away even beyond that though and we started working very very closely together and uh and i would go so far as to say that a, a vast majority of uh our success from a, a business process perspective in executing on the strategies from the executive level came uh came from from maggie and uh, and there was a there was basically a truism at ZipRecruiter. if you wanted to convince the executives to do something get Maggie to tell them to do it <laughs> and they would do it because she became such a trusted advisor to, uh, to ZipRecruiter. And uh, I'm, I'm just so thrilled that she's uh, that she's on the show here today because you've been so impactful to ZipRecruiter's success and my success. So thank you so much for coming oh, on the show, thanks. Maggie. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. Excited to be here. You got it. You got it. So why don't you, um, just give us the three minute, you know, summary or primer of your, you know, career. How did you get to such lofty heights that you're at right now? And, and when you get to the end, by the way, I'd love for a plug of Service Titan, what Service Titan is, because, you know, a, a unicorn in the Los Angeles area doesn't come too often. So, but tell yeah, us about of, you. Of course, um, you know, I've, I've done a number of different things throughout my career, I actually started uh, my career as a programmer because I studied computer science um, in college and, 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 you know, and, and I kind of worked in the financial services industry. Then I went on to be a management consultant for a few years. Then I tried product management for, uh, you know, for some time. And then after that's when I landed um, at that gig at ZipRecruiter where Kevin interviewed me and I was at ZipRecruiter for um, the past six years up until um, at this July. Um, it has been a fantastic ride. I think, you know, uh, most of the time with that is, is um, with uh, through close partnership with, with Kevin. And, and yeah, now most recently, uh, I am at Service Titan uh, as their VP of business operations and um, analytics. Um, yeah, so Service Titan, um, what we do, um, we are, um, you know, the operating systems for the trades. So um, if anyone hasn't heard the amazing story of the co-founders, it is an amazing story, especially as a new immigrant. You know, they've kind of, they, they grew up in the trades and they really built this software um, to help their dad's business. And now it's serving, it's powering, uh, you know, this entire trades industry from plumbing, electrical to, you know, landscaping, a, a lot of these other things. And really it's end-to-end -end service. Um, you know, the company is very invested in uh, its customer success. Um, and, you know, you can really see that in everyone that, you know, I've worked with here that they're really um invested in, in their customer success, which is, it's quite amazing. Yeah. What's the recent valuation, Maggie, like $10 billion or something like something that? Something like that. Just crazy. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, it's the valuations are nuts these days anyway, but um, absolutely fan. I'm going a little bit off screen. What is for the people at home, you know, there's revenue operations, there's sales operations. Can you please like let the people know what business operations means? I, I, I've got an understanding. It's probably data across the board and, and capsulate and all that. And it probably is really revenue operations, just a different name, but go ahead. Yeah. I mean, the naming thing I think is really funny because I feel mm -hmm. like, you know, folks call it 
right? Yeah, there's business operations, there's revenue operations, there's sales operations. And I know folks who are in RevOps teams who wanted to rebrand it to BizOps and the folks who are in BizOps team wanted to rebrand to RevOps. So I think really, you know, you, you get different flavor of it. But the way I think about it is um, really comes down to, right, like what does the team do? What is the team's responsibility? I think um, at a high level, the way I think about it is, if you think about a spectrum, on one end, you think about kind of your typical finance FP&A, right, where everything is kind of abstracted, right? If you think about kind of the model that FP&A runs that plans for the entire company, everything gets abstracted to some sort of input in a spreadsheet, right? Whether it's your close rate, whether it's your AOV, all becomes just a number, right, or, or a scenario. Then if you think about on the other, the other end of the spectrum, an individual salesperson who's just trying to hit their quota, right? It is every single call they're making, right? Every objection they're trying to overcome. These two are quite different. And, and to bridge the these two ends of the spectrum, right? You have folks who's then taking exactly what's happening on the ground, right? And understanding the, the driver behind that and translating that into some sort of number or metrics that then can be used as input to this model that doesn't just go just for sales, right? It goes beyond the whole company because there's a lot of implication in terms of marketing, R&D, all of those things, right? So if you think about it, really, I think whether it's RevOps, BizOps, um, it just covers, I think, somewhere um, in, in, be, in between the spectrum, right? Yeah. And, and again, you know, my focus hasn't, hasn't always been in just with sales focus. It also in, includes, you know, marketing and product. And therefore, I think biz ops, perhaps in a way, is more encompassing. But at the end of the day, it's the same, right? It's really to connect what's happening on the ground, what people actually do from activity, from a value generation perspective, to the company planning level, right? These go through different levels of, 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 of uh, abstraction. And really, so I think somewhere in the middle, you have these teams that play in these roles and they can cut differently. But if you think about functionally, the folks you have on the BizOps or RevOps team, right? It, they're typically have some sort of financial modeling skills, uh, data analysis, processes, um, you know, good understanding of systems and technology, right? So, you know, it, it's kind of, that's, it shows how encompassing, right? These, yeah, um, this role can be. I think revenue ops and biz ops are synonymous because revenue ops doesn't mean you're just focused on marketing and sales. It, the whole company is, should be focused on driving revenue and that encompasses prof, uh, product as well as finance. And so therefore, when you say yourself revenue ops, I always say that means you're out of just focused on sales and sales productivity and you're more, fo more focused on overall company structure, overall company strategy. And BizOps is the exact same thing. RevOps is more of a newer term, um, uh, you know, and it, it's more of an elevated. But when you're in sales ops, I'm always questioning, should you be RevOps or not? Are you stuck in just like doing sales comp plans and sales productivity and sales quotas and stuff like that and territory management? Or are you doing more than just that? And then therefore you're more in RevOps. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I am also wrong a lot, but I would just... Thought I would start there. If you haven't figured it out, Maggie, Jamie is our resident uh, RevOps representative to uh, to us meatheads, Pete and Pete and myself. <laughs> well, KG, I wouldn't call you a meathead. Well, I, to my face. I'll end it right there. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Ma uh, Maggie. Keep Maggie, last week we had Lauren Bailey on. Uh, she's the founder of uh, Girls Club. I'll say mm -hmm. hashtag Girls Club. 
Uh, she's pretty passionate about helping uh, women earn sales leadership roles. Uh, I understand you're pretty passionate about the same thing. Can you talk about STEM fields? What is STEM? S-T-E-M. Can you give us a little uh, insight? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think, well, now you're putting me on the spot. I think it's, uh, let me make sure I I get acronyms right. I think it's science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Is that right? I think, yeah, she's correct. But I think there's what is the A, analysis, or is it agriculture? I don't know. They, they, I know in my kids' class, they call it STEAM now. I hate acronyms. I hate acronyms. <laughs> it drives me nuts. People just nod their head. Oh, yeah, I understand what you're talking about, especially the new people that come on board, and they never figure it out, and we're speaking in two different languages. But, but Maggie, you want to help women move up in the company. How do you do that uh, where you're currently at? Well, um, actually, um, my interest in the, um, you know, kind of promote or ignite girls' interest in the STEM field, that goes back a little bit earlier, not so much as kind of where my career is at now. Um, you know, I, as I kind of briefly mentioned earlier, I studied computer science, which is, you know, an, an engineering discipline uh, back in college. And, and you know, I, I know things are quite different today, but 20 years ago, uh, I think, you know, I was among very few, few girls, um, you know, it, 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 that's in that field. And, um, with that, I think similar to, I think, you know, when folks think about women in leadership today, it's just, it, there really is, um, you know, um, a kind of challenges stemmed from just a lack of representation, right? I was always one of very few um, women in my class um, and this feeling of like, I don't belong, right? Because, you know, there are certain fields are meant for boys and not girls and, you know, uh, and, and, and thinking that I, I got there, this kind of imposter syndrome that I've suffered for, you know, many years and is not until many, many years later, you know, after I've kind of gone through a, a, a lot of, um kind of different things to look back on that experience and realize the impact it had on me, right? At the time when I was going through um, college, it didn't occur to me that like, you know, my desire to look for upperclassmen who were women in computer science or, you know, and and how important, um, and why I had such a strong desire. Um, So, so yeah, so, you know, um, I, and that's why, so I, um, you know, at one point I was an instructor for uh, girls who code, Um, really just wanted to help, you know, young girls, this is, you know, girls that are kind of still in middle school or or high school, you know, for them to, um, because I think a lot of times, you know, we have this interest, but, but again, because it it might be a more male dominated field and this feeling of like, whether that's for me uh, or or not, Um, but I have to say, things have, I think, uh, changed quite a bit since, you know, my, uh, my own experience into the positive direction. I mentioned, you know, being an instructor, because, you know, I remember in class and kind of talking to the girls about, right, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of trying to get them to see it's not if, if they ever have these feelings if they don't belong that's not really the case all of that but then they were telling me like the you know the the the, the engineering program they're going into to college they have like more than 50 percent women nowadays right which is a very positive um direction so uh, that's something that i'm very pleased to say uh, or uh, very pleased to see but i would just say i mean i think similar to any woman come on here would say uh, invested in women leadership i think it, it, it's the same right i think you've go, gone through a challenging experience 
experiencing, you really wanted to kind of be there for other uh, girls or women who, you know, who are perhaps earlier in the path and help them, um, give them the encouragement. I think really confidence is a big thing just to give them the, the, the encouragement, um, you know, uh, uh, that, right, that, that they should be able to pursue whatever they wanted to pursue. So let's expand on that, actually. So if you were to, if you were to wind the clock back and do anything differently uh, with respect to your experience at the time, knowing what you know now, would you do anything differently? And, and would you give, uh, what specific tips would you give other women that are in STEM fields or want to be in STEM fields? I think seek out a great support network is important. Um, you know, I think, I mean, I, I, I did, it's not, this is not something that I haven't done, but like, you know, in college, there's the uh, uh, Society of Women Engineers, right? And like I said, I just, I, I didn't know at the time, but I really, like, there was this one, when I was a freshman, there was this one um, uh, upperclassman, she's a computer science major, and I just really looked up to her, right? I just couldn't, you know, I wanted to kind of learn from her experience, because again, right, trying to imagine what I would be like going through the challenges of, of school, like you know, the first thing I wanted to look for someone who's, who, you know, who's just like me and, and going through that. So I think, um, you know, just, I think more of these programs um, that can facilitate, right, so so that if someone who's coming in, especially to perhaps a big program, um, right, that help them to be able to identify these like networks that they can find support will be extremely helpful. That has been really helpful for myself. And here's a twist. If you were to wind the clock back, are there any tips that you would give to your male counterparts at the time to help help you at the time? Um, I think just awareness, right? I think a lot of times uh, folks, uh, right, either make comments or, you know, I don't think they necessarily mean it. I think it's more ignorance than anything else. Um, but again, I, I think, you know, I feel like society have progressed in the right direction. I feel like folks today are, are right, a lot more sensitive, right? Versus, you know, I think 20 years ago, um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, not big, make a big deal that, right, you know, that um, you're one of, right, whatever, I, I, you know, eight or 10 people out of an entire program and that's women and, and, and kind of single you out and, and, and things like that. But um, I would just say awareness, awareness that, right, that like it's, it could be a very different experience for uh, a, a minority of, right, any sort of go through an experience, uh, right, that, that could, it could be a very different experience for and versus someone who's not a, a minority. Um, so I think that just awareness will be um, really helpful. I was going to say, that's refreshing to hear that you say there's progression over the last 20 years, because if you listen to the most recent media, it seems like we're going the wrong direction and fast. And I feel like that's completely, in my opinion, I've got three daughters and I feel like it's completely against what I see on the ground. But yet I listen, when I listen to the media, I'm always like, oh my gosh, I'm an awful person. You know, one of the things that you've worked now at two unicorns, I know, um, Zip is no longer a unicorn because they're public, right? But tell me a little bit of your experience and how you work at these high growth companies. How did you get involved in there? And just like other things that you're like, what are you bringing from Zip Recruited uh, Service Titan? Or, 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 you know, obviously they recruited you away. Just go into that whole uh, concept there of, of the difference between. Yeah, uh, sure. Well, I think, um, you know, obviously both companies are, are, are high growth, but um kind of in relation to my own experience, I joined the two company at these two companies at very different stages, right? When I joined ZipRecruiter, you know, 
they were still I think they were like perhaps like 250 people at the time um uh, and you know now service time it, it, it's right it, it, it's a much larger um uh, company um so I think the stages are quite different so the challenges are different too but I do think that having gone through the ZipRecruiter experience you do see kind of certain challenges uh, right along the way. And, and even during my time at Zip, I always kind of, you know, look back and, and think about, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, if I, I would have done something differently, right, or right. And, and so I think my takeaway really is, you know, in hindsight, we always wish we or I always wish that I had um, invested more in scale, right, in, in the, you know, longer term um solutions and, and, and focus less on the more uh, ad hoc in the moment um, things. However, I also understand when you're in the kind of momentum, right, when in the moment is very difficult to not go for kind of what's right in front of you and really think, you know, a, a bigger picture. Um, but, you know, here at Service Time, again, at the scale that, um, you know, they're at right now, um, Definitely for myself, there's a big emphasis on um, scale and invest in solutions and processes and systems um, that is right scalable, right? That 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 is here to stay for the next, I say, three to five, you know, years, right? So, so right there, you said less on ad hoc, mm-hmm. right? And I think this is very important. I know when mm-hmm. I was at CareerBuilder when I took over the whole data analytics team, I said uh, I said to my whole team and I'd say to everyone. The first rule of the data analytics team is there is no ad hoc. The second rule is there is no ad hoc. We all know there's ad hoc, like Fight Club. But give us some examples or an example, like at ZipRecruiter, where you where long-term scale was probably thrown on the back burner due to a fire drill needed for ad hoc, and you wish. Yeah, well, I have... You don't I have, have to, to get specific, but you yep. can throw Kevin, our KG, under the bus if he's the reason. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, but I would um, clarify when I say ad hoc here is not I think in, com- it's in comparison to kind of the longer term solution I was describing, I don't think it's ad hoc in the sense that it's just something that you throw away right away. But it's also it is more that I think, um, you know, at a startup, typically, right, everyone adopts this MVP uh, process, right? You always want to see some sort of indication of uh, positive return before you right, continue to I'm invest. Here. MVP, I just want to define that as minimal viable product for yes. the listeners at home. So I just go ahead. Thank you. Um, and, and so initially, you always wanted to kind of, especially I think this is more applicable to companies early early on in their, uh, uh, you know, uh, traje- you know, growth trajectory, right? where you wanted to make sure that you invest your resources at the right, You perhaps you have limited resources, right? So you want to make sure you don't just go all in on something without seeing there's some sort of return first. So there's always a struggle of like how much you invest in building something that is long lasting, uh, which would right be uh, more costly, more likely versus something that perhaps you're sustain, you know, over this M- M- MVP period. Right. And then we all know how the story unfolds. Once you get to the MVP, you actually see positive scale, then you want to see the next thing. So this, you know, this um, solution you put forth that really just just an MVP solution somehow gets wrapped into right kind of this much longer solution, Um, you know, and, and I don't necessarily think. Um, that's the right or wrong approach. I just think that it's a trade off that you constantly have to think about and reevaluate. 
right? So, you know, a, 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 an example I can give you at ZIP is, yeah, so, you know, we, at ZIP, we, you know, it's a, we have a very um, test uh, driven, experiment driven culture, right? So we do a lot of testing. Um, and, you know, and, and yeah, and, and we want to see the results. So we invested, you know, a lot of just getting the right data into the hands, the right insights into the hand of our, our stakeholders. Um, but, you know, we've let our data infrastructure, uh, and as a result, we haven't invested in as much in our data infrastructure, which what that means is it, um, uh, it puts a lot of the work on the individual analyst to, to essentially build the right um, data set to be able to answer the question and you know over time um, and that worked really well for us for you know the first I would say five years right but at some point it reaches scale where it becomes difficult to onboard an analyst to have that type of knowledge people to to, to do that so then the question I always ask myself is you know at what point right should we have uh, spend more time investing in kind of the infrastructure so take that load more and build that into the system rather than on the individual analyst I still don't have a clear answer because at the same time right the, the return is the, the reason we do that it's because there's great return in getting things um, in a timely manner into the hand of the stakeholder so that we can make the right decision to move forward so you know I, I really think that it's it's it, it's a trade-off and, and and you just have to kind of decide what's more important to you you know for a lot of people that are analysts out there that are doing that type of work, I, I know that type of work, I live that type of work. And I would say if you're an analyst doing that type of work, um, you might take uh, comfort in feeling that it's job security because I'm pulling together all this stuff, but it's hard for you to take on additional work when you're bogged down in compiling all the data. And you as an individual should be thinking of scale and proposing it to your boss and upstream so that you can invest time in scale and you can take on more work and don't say the day-to-day -day of me compiling this data is so valuable for the company that I've got ultimate job security that doesn't progress your career. That just yep, uh, I, I totally agree. Um, uh, one thing I, I often tell the analysts on my team when they tell me kind of, right, they, you know, they wanted to take on more responsibilities. They wanted to right, uh, learn more. My ask is always, that sounds great. Let's list out all the things. Let's rank order all the things that you do from kind of the most value add to the least value add. Let's figure out a way to automate away the things on the bottom. Right. Because, you know, once you automate that away, that's how you free yourself to do them. Uh, right. More, more, more important things. And that actually has been very helpful in, in helping the analyst to think through what are the things that we should be actively trying to automate away rather than just doing it. And then they also see, understand that that is right. Not automating those things away is standing in the way of them learning more things. I would always say before Tableau was involved, I would always tell people whatever you're doing on a daily, weekly basis, stop and see if someone cares, right? That's your number one way. Now, Tableau, what a lot of people who don't know Tableau, and I know you probably know Tableau, but the people who don't know, you can see who views it and how many times they viewed it. So you'd be able to do that on your own. But I would always tell people like, hey, you know what? If you're not hearing back about this, stop doing it. See if anyone cares. And if they stop caring, then fine, you're done. It's off your list, Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the same, same advice I would say. Scale, scale, scale. Everyone in the entire company should be thinking about scale at all times. If you're not, then you're just, you're just creating a lot of busy work. How should, sales, how should sales leaders deal with biz ops or rev ops? Now, I've been out of the, the, the uh, sales gig for, for a few years now, but I, I don't think much has changed where you get a quota and then you whine to sales ops and say, oh, it's too high. Can you help me justify why it should be lower? 
versus coming in beforehand and you know saying, "Hey, this is what my team has the capability of doing. This is what what the opportunity is." What what's going on uh, nowadays, Maggie? Are salespeople yeah. still meat meatheads? <laughs> um, I I wouldn't say that, but I really think it's it really depends on the relationship, right? And you know, I I think um, you know I I would say that the relationship I have with KG as if was kind of in my mind the model relationship where it's a true partnership, you know. And and the way I describe it is if you if if we just all take a you know think about um, the most really. Uh, the most valuable relationships we all have in our lives, right? Those are like, how, how do you approach those relationships? You probably go to those people when you have any questions or like very early on in your decision-making process, right? You go to someone when, right, when something's kind of, you don't have a solution yet, you just have a question that bothers you, you want to talk it out. I would say it's a very similar approach here, you know, where as a sales leader, you really want to involve your biz ops leader early on in the process, right? Not something specific like, well, I just, you know, my goal today is really just to get a lower quota number. So now help me to execute. It's really, right, like what, right, like, what is the company goal, revenue goal for next year? How are we going to achieve it, right? And then what are the assumptions that would go into the drivers? And can we really do these things? These are the kind of conversations I typically have with um, KG. And it's very early, like a lot of when the conversation that we have does not involve data, does not involve uh, right, looking at a whole bunch of numbers. It's really talking high level of like, what is our plan, right? And then we have this, what is the, once we stay the problem and really figure out kind of these different components, then I take that and you know and then I kind of find insights and we can then we can further this conversation but how it starts really is is very early on in the process of just saying like right how can we make this company more money right let's kind of right and, and that's in line with the company's uh, strategic goals um so I would you know high level I would just say for sales leaders it's just to right like I think true a partnership it, it, it is when you know it is I think one way to look at it is how early you involve this other person um, in your decision making process very tangible so so they shouldn't they shouldn't be reaching out to you the uh, night before their presentation hey I need all this uh and it's 11 at night that type yeah, of thing because okay. that's not a partnership right that's really a service-oriented relationship Right. It's like going to Kinko's back in the day and say, I just need these things printed right by, you know, yeah, yeah. this time oh. tomorrow. OK. You now dated yourself by saying Kinko's. Right? <laughs> That's <laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> and and yeah. by calling it Kinko's, it's like Kleenex, like that everyone knew on this call <laughs> what exactly you meant. But I'm sure there's other people. Kinko's was a story where you went and made copies of resumes on certain <laughs> to find that to the uh the it was, thanks for it was thanks for the mansplaining. Yeah, he mansplained it to us. I'm thanks, not Jamie. mansplaining. I'm trying to tell the new gen that that it's was true. so busted. It in true as a true asshole, he mansplained it. That's awesome. <laughs> um, I, you know, I could give a very tangible a- a- example here. Um, Ma- you know, Maggie and I worked very very closely on our enterprise initiative when we decided to you know kick it off. Um, uh, you know, several years into our tenure at ZipRecruiter. <clears throat> and one of the things, well, my job, my main job, improve conversion rates, period, end of story, full stop. Chief sales officer, improve conversion rates. And Maggie and I observed that our close, our win rate, close win rate was absolutely uh, horrible on our enterprise side of the, uh, on the enterprise side of the business. And that's that nagging question. And we went into uh, 2020 and Maggie's team 
broke the whole thing down, the whole sales process. And what she came up with, what her team came up with, was that our enterprise salespeople were doing basically zero discovery and when they would get proposals out to customers. But she went even further. Her team went even further and realized that our team was not identifying metrics for success that our customers were identifying. And even further than that, Maggie then came up, Maggie and her team came up with a process to help us uh, alleviate that, which was quite simply an email that came out every single night for every new opportunity that was created where metric for success was not filled out in Salesforce. And it went out to the directors, (laughs) the CMO, myself, Maggie, and others. And it created the the optics around this one particular metric that was indicative of success. And our win rates, I don't even, Maggie, I can't even remember how, like our win rates went up tremendously when we isolated on that one particular thing. So we we could say, you know, so I, I got Jamie's attention here, by the way, because he's the RevOps guy. We, Maggie figured out that we weren't doing discovery. Great. But how did we operationalize that? And Maggie came, Maggie identified one particular thing, and that was the metric for success. Our customers were not telling us, and we were not extracting the metric for success. And not only was it a field in Salesforce, but she created this sort of, uh, I'm going to call it a shame email (laughs) that would come out and created this accountability at the director level, not the manager level, at the director level to then make sure that this was permeating through the managers and the salespeople. And our win rates skyrocketed in 2020 as a result. And that was a perfect combination of this question that was nagging in my mind and Maggie's, uh, Maggie's business operations and analyst team helped us um, move the needle. Sorry how for the long diatribe. How did you identify that? Was it self-reported in uh, Salesforce or did you guys go along chair sides or how did you identify that they weren't doing the value metric? Um, wow, that was a very specific. So if I recall correctly, I think it's just it, any problem solving, right? You're kind of just pulling on the thread. So I think it probably started out with, I was just trying to analyze, um, we're looking at close rate, right? So we're just looking at kind of which at every stage in the opportunity process, you know, kind of where are the um, biggest drop-offs, right? And what I, I think it was a combination of what I realized is um, there was a big variance going from the discovery stage to the proposal stage among all the, uh, you know, the various sales um sales reps. So that kind of raised a flag of like, if there's such a big variance among uh, uh, sales reps, my guess is there's some sort of um, adherence or right, like everyone's not doing like everyone has different ways of approach things, right. So that's kind of led us to look a little bit deeper into, okay, so are folks doing things differently, like, you know, then and start with, okay, so what are the criteria, the exit criteria for uh, leaving the discovery stage to proposal, right, you know, and, and really narrowing down to like, specifically so what in our mind uh, indicates a successful discovery then from that I mean like it that that was we started with just asking the you know the sales managers the directors the sales reps and you get like different answers and then that again shows in the data right like you look at these you know so if we say a successful discovery is we've understood what the customer success criteria is then we looked and say well how can you say that if you haven't even gotten their criteria success criteria filled out 
right? That seems to be a, an obvious thing. There's also other things like, right, you know, identifying the, the right decision maker, which wasn't as big of a challenge. So when we look at the number of things, we realize that that was one of the biggest challenges is, right, like, you know, folks will just move on because they just send, you know, because reps just send the proposal out. So they use that as an indication of leaving discovery. But that's, mm-hmm. right, that, that's more of a processing. But in reality, the rep themselves has not fully understood what success means to, to, to our, to this prospect. Um, so I think that's, you know, kind of, you just keep pulling on that thread and you kind of identify that was one thing that is the most problematic. You know, it wasn't the only thing it just, we rank ordered, right. All the things that we found and realized that that was probably something that would have the biggest impact. And the goal is not for reps just to fill in, uh, you know, this data field for the sake of doing it. Right. But this is really just get the manager's attention because if you talk to the sales managers and the directors, they would agree. They would agree that in order to do a successful discovery, you have to at least understand what the customer success criteria are, right? Uh, and so when they see that, then they, they go back and they coach um, the reps on how to do a, a, you know, the a discovery process the right way. And I think that's ultimately what um, led to an improvement in, in the close rate. Jamie, just to put a finer point on this on two points, the data point that Maggie came up with was that. of the uh, opportunities in the discovery stage went to closed lost. And you think to yourself, oh, no, that's a 50% win rate. That's not so bad. No, 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 no. It went straight (laughs) from discovery to closed lost or or proposal to closed loss or some some dramatic drop off. It didn't didn't go progress and eventually 50% went to close. It wasn't like that. It was that it was 50% went from that stage directly to close loss. And then as she said, she pulled on the thread and I'll remember this, Jamie, uh, Maggie and I had one of our very first massive arguments. I wanted that metric for success field to be mandatory, has to be filled in. And Maggie pounded her, pounded her shoe on the table like Gorbachev. It was like, absolutely not. We're not making it mandatory. And of course, she was right because it helped us surface where the issues and the coaching opportunities were because it had to be a natural thing that was that was coached upon. And like, once again, Maggie was Maggie was right. But that that data point for you, Jamie, as a RevOps pro, was like right on. It was so insightful. I think that's very insightful what you just said there, because in Salesforce, the biggest problem I have, Salesforce is a great tool. Everyone uses it. But when you start beating the drum on, you need to fill out this, you need to fill out that, you need more. Guess what? It gets filled out. <laughs> right or wrong. Liars. <laughs> They're all liars. Oh, Sales are all liars. So it's all garbage. We know it, you know. So I think that's interesting. You didn't make it man- mandatory. Yeah, and, and, and in fact, if I remember correctly, the email that Jay-Z described, it actually did not go to the salespeople. It went to sales managers and directors and above, right? Because to me, it's really a management issue. This is indicate that to the managers that they have more coaching to do with their reps, not necessarily that, yeah, the reps just need to right, do some work to fill something out. I got a question for you. What, now at the two companies, what, are you, what do you get, what is in your tech stack, tech stack today and what is what you want in your tech stack, like from ZipRecruiter that was game changer for you and managing a, a consistent sales process across the board? Uh, sales process. Um, that one I have to think um, a little bit more on, but what comes to, in terms of tech stack, what comes to mind is, um, 
you know, at, at Zip, we use this um, kind of data platform called Periscope. They um, were, I think, um, acquired by Sisense uh, probably a few years ago. So now they're part of Sisense. But um, that's something that I think uh, played a big part in our data-driven culture. Um, you know, I always kind of bode um, the fact that Zip, I zip our, um, you know, uh, as an analytics team, our speed to insight is very impressive, right? I think there are many examples where, right, KG and I can just have a conversation about a problem, and I could just pull up Periscope and start typing the queries, and right, and and then I, I and then and then show a chart, and then we'll say, okay, so it's here, and we'll keep going, keep, and then at the end of that conversation, we've had an understanding of where the problem is, and have the idea of like what we, you know, going to do um, to address that problem. To me, that kind of speed to insight is very impressive. And um, I haven't really seen that um, elsewhere. The typical workflow is, you know, someone throws over a question, right? And then you have an analyst that takes that and then takes time to get the data built and, and then become something. So that kind of real time, uh, uh, you know, being able to just convert a query to a SQL query to a visualization is very powerful. And I haven't seen any other um, kind of technology platform does that, uh, do that well. Um, in terms of other, I think, sales specific uh, text stack. Um, like I you use Outmat or uh, Outreach, um, Gong, those are Yeah, so I, I think, I, but I think a lot of these are, um, a lot of these are, again, depends on implementation, use uh -huh. case and implementation, right? I mean, I think any of these technologies are similar to, I think you described Salesforce, right? It's just a tool and, and how you leverage it is, um, you know, it's uh, more important. Um, but uh, again, I would say, if I have to name, I think a technology that I see a ton of value at, I would say it's gone. I think, um, you know, I think that, um, it's truly, to me, uh, not just a recording platform, but a, a technology, um, AI power technology platform where I've seen, you know, sales managers really, um, again, the ones who, who believe in the value and invested in, in, in that really be able to use that as an effective uh, management tool to coach their reps. And I've seen great results. I think that's a great enablement tool. Like it allows you to understand where are they missing the value rather quickly and look at all the keywords and density and, and conversations. I think it's amazing. Um, so it sounds to me data, speed to data and data. I'm, I'm like, Speed to I, insight I, is what I would call speed it. Speed to insight, yes. And I'm just saying, but it, the, the, the data has got to be real for you to get to that speed to insight, right? And that's one of the problems I always have with Salesforce, especially when it gets a little junky and people say, create pipeline. Million dollar pipeline deals start getting created. So it's always difficult. How do you communicate that so that you're not getting junky data because you're pointing out a problem that the data is like, hey, we have a pipeline creation problem. If you say that to the Salesforce, guess what happens? Pipeline is created, right? So how do you go about being a data person, communicating that to sales leadership so that it doesn't junk up the data just to make us feel better? Well, I think, um, well, that's why I think my uh, my role both at Zip and at Servson is, uh, you know, biz ops and analytics, right? Because I really think that you have to have the end-to-end -end control. Um, you know, if you, like, again, anything, any issue you see at reporting time, it's just a symptom, right? 
of a much more upstream problem. You, most of the time, it has to do with the process, right? Where it's, you know, again, if you didn't capture the data correctly when the events are, uh, happened, then no matter, I mean, I think today, a lot of um, the data teams I see spend a lot of time at reporting time trying to, you know, make an already um, poor quality data set into something that is reportable. That's not really, that's really just fixing kind of what, not the root problem, but what's, uh, you know, what's on the surface. That's why I think in my experience, what you have to do is you have to fix, it's a process issue, right? You have to define clear um, process procedures and data governance of when these data gets captured, right? And, and that they gets captured correctly and the training that goes with it, especially when it's user input data like Salesforce, right? At the end of the day, I, you know, uh, again, this is something that Kajun and I talk about all the time and I, and I use, it, use this on him all the time, like, if your sales team at the end of the day aren't disciplined to put in the information, there's no way I could know what our customer, right? Any insight from our customers. Like at the end of the day, we rely on our sales team to, to tell us that, right? And, and so they have to be able to do that correctly. And obviously this is a partnership. So, you know, the way that the interface is designed, we have to make sure that it's as few clicks as possible. Like it, all that is true. But at the end of the day, our sales people, what, what we're, asking them to do is through their conversation to extract the most important information so we can record it and then we can aggregate it and right, derive insight from it later on, right? So to me, the, 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 my preference is always to fix it at the root cause. I always say you can ask sales reps for a ton of data, but the more data you ask them to do, the less time they are selling. So be cognizant of the data that you actually need versus the data you want or, you know, yeah, you so want that, them to sell. That, that's why it needs to be very few, right? And, and, and that's why it, need, it needs to be valuable, yeah, I right? See and, some, and also I see anything additional, coming. yeah, I mean, you have, you know, again, programs like Gone, you can, right, you can kind of get more, but it's really things like, um, you know, things like when we move, we go from discovery, right? When we reach these milestones in our sales process, that needs to be tied and correct, right those indications consistent right i mean yeah like you know like we, we, like we wouldn't expect a close date to pass and the opportunity still be open yeah. right those are the things i think right like i think it, it's fair to expect the sales folks to 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 you know right because at the end of the day it's not in conflict it, it should not be chores to the sales rep it has to also be helpful for them to manage right their pipeline the more you, can automate the, data, the more you can do uh anything to help streamline the process the better you are as a sales ops, biz ops, rev ops person. I know I've been talking a lot. So thanks, Captain Obvious. Hey, Maggie and JC, uh, do companies, do all, pretty much all the companies now, do they do cadence meetings with leadership where they all get together and they figure out who's lying the least? Is, if so, is business ops a part of that conversation? Because they're trying to make projections based on what's in the funnel and What's real? What's not real? Is is that going on? More companies doing it. Less companies do it. What do you What do you mean by a cadence meeting? Forecast cadence. Your weekly forecast cadence call. It's the biggest time suck in any organization with the least amount of value for every organization, in my opinion. I. It's not my opinion, but I want to hear what Maggie has to That's say. That's my yeah. opinion. I'm waiting um, for Maggie's opinion. Yeah, I think cadence meetings are important. Um, and in, at both companies, um, you know the 
biz ops team actually lead and drives and prepares for the cadence meeting. Um, the to me the goals um, and 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 there are different cadences, right? Because you have to think about business, there are things that we want to look at on a weekly basis. There are things we want to look at on a monthly basis, and there are things we want to look at on a quarterly basis, right? So things that are just kind of making sure that things are going as expected. That's more of a weekly uh, type of cadence, right? Uh, what's coming up, right? Are we kind of prepared, like a forecast meeting? That is more a, a, of a weekly cadence. Monthly cadence typically had to do with uh, headcount planning. Right, you know, looking at our pipeline because there's a lead time, right? So we want to make sure, right? If we see something coming, we want to inform the uh, a TA team to right to make adjustment to their uh, uh, hiring pipeline. And then quarterly typically have to do with the quota, right? Making sure that the quota capacity is there, the right, the quota planning is still correct and things like that. Um, to me, the I, I like the cadence meeting. I think they're important because to me, it's really it's almost kind of like a contract. Um, the ops team have with the sales team of saying like, hey, your job as the sales team is to go out and talk to the customers and sell. I'm here to watch your business for you, right? So, you know, if things are going right, I'll quickly check and make it, we'll have this kind of a checkpoint of say things are going right as expected or some right warring trend is forming. We don't know, we'll keep an eye on on it. But that kind of a, uh, and also I think it helps to um, avoid distractions because again, I understand whenever, it, it, you know, a lot of times the, the, the data or the things that we're dealing with impact someone's uh, compensation, right? And so folks can be sensitive and react to that. Like, oh, you know, my, right, like my close rate dipped for the past two days, you know, go find something is wrong. And I think the cadence meeting helps to say like, hey, there are things we look at on a weekly basis, Right. So if you set the expectation and you kind of help educate your sales stakeholders that they're right, what are the things that if this is a trend that we have been seeing for several weeks, then yes, something that's worth uh, investigating. But if this is just a two day pop, we'll kind of keep going. Right. But I think that it, it's more, more like a partnership um, uh, checkpoint, the way I see it. Right. Where you, you build this trust of saying, you know, you're going to go out and get the business. We're going to be here and watch the business for you. Is that the difference between data and insights, or what is the difference between the two? Um, so to me, and, and I always tell the analysts on my team, right, to me, it's a three-step process. Step one is data or information, right? That's like, you know, if you think about today, we have so much data, and they're all stored somewhere, right? The data is just extracting information out of whatever system those data are uh, stored in, right? And that's actually, to be quite honest, um, not a high value add activity because today with the technology, there's so many platforms and right technology that can automating that away. So you don't, you know, today perhaps you still need some sort of, you know, a scripting or programming language to do that. But, you know, I, I, you know, I will have no doubt that in the near future that will be automated away. Um, then once you have the data, the second piece is insight, right? So what is the data trying to say? That should, there should be a direction. Is this good? Is this bad? Right? It shouldn't just be like, you know, kind of a, 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 a read out of just what the information is because everyone can read themselves right so the insight is really about interpretation of data like i said i always stress on there should be a um direction good or bad or really you know the variance like we don't know which is helpful cajun have many of this conversation where i just say hey the data says 
we don't know. So you now go make a call, right? Because your expertise now is going to be worth more because there really isn't anything we can suss out from the data. And that's really helpful. So you don't give the impression, the false impression that the data is somehow precise or accurate, that you can get something when, when in fact it has a uh, big variance, right? Then steps, and, and that's, I would say, more value-added because, you know, not everyone can interpret it the right way. So if you can do it right, do it with the right insight, I think then that puts you in a category that is, right, that you your contribution will be higher and it's harder to automate that away, right? Although I'm, I, I know there are technologies today, with, especially with AI, that are attempts to do that. Um, and then the third piece is um, action, right? Or recommendation. Basically, it has to be actionable. Otherwise, if you just stopped at the inside, then we're no better than a, a, a research center, right? That just puts out studies that it's kind of interesting to know, but at the end of the day, we're here to run a business. And what does that do translate to, to the business? So it has to have this action piece, which again, that's why it's important this where the ops piece comes in, right? You know, you have, so, so to me, it's not just data and insight. It has to come to some sort of action of, okay, today we either stop doing this or when you do more of that, right? Or when you do this new thing, but it has to be something that is actionable. I mean, you have to be persuasive. Right, because sometimes you might think it's insightful, but the leaders might not get it. So you have to be able to tell that story as well. But I totally agree with you. Yeah, um, but in my in my um, experience, and that's something that I really appreciated about um, Zip. And you know, I've been at ServiceCenter for for six months now, and I think it's also true here, which is um, I I had never actually have experienced much of the selling. I think if you lay out a good logical argument it's, it's not so much about its data just some sort of number it's laying out a good argument and also m- ensuring that like um like because at the end of the day our incentive meaning the ops leader and the sales leader should be aligned which is for the company to make more money right and so if you go from there it, you know and, and then you're presenting data in a fair way in my experience i haven't really um encountered too much um too many challenges in terms of just explaining kind of what the insights are and convincing someone to do something, um, you know, they may not originally wanted to. To answer your question on forecast cadence, I always say, here's a good thing to take Maggie's uh, process. Capture all the data that is spent, the hours spent by every single sales rep on forecast cadence, and then quantify that and then look at how can you reduce that by 20%. Do whatever you can to reduce that because that's more time you're spent not doing it. That's why I mean by the time suck. I want to shrink that. It's got to be there, but we spend way too much time doing deal review, the same deals talked about and stuff like that. What, what I want to know that what you guys are in cahoots on when, when, the, <laughs> when the board gets a number to the CRO, to ops, the fudge number from the board number when it gets down to the street, how much... Uh, <laughs> wiggle room there is in there but that's a that's a topic for another time yeah that's a topic. <laughs> Ma- maggie thank you so much for coming on the show what's the best way for uh the listeners to find out more about you linkedin yeah i think linkedin probably works the best okay great maggie, when i get i'm going out to la kg you and 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 maggie and i need to get some coffee or lunch together or drinks whatever it is uh, KG, of yeah. course. Yeah, the con- I could write it off as a consultant. <laughs> well, we need to do that. To this me. was awesome. I would love to talk more shop, but Pete wants to pull the plug as quickly as possible. I'm kidding. 
Thanks for listening to the Sassholes. On behalf of Jamie KG and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. We ask that you give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to our newsletter and the podcast notes, and you can always buy us a beer on Patreon slash Sassholes. We thank you for listening. Cue the non-copyrighted music.